Welcome to the Lisa Show Book Club. I'm really excited to have Gina James here, who happens to be my little sister, but is also intelligent, and we're really glad to have you here. I know how to read, so I'm happy to be here. (laughs) I know, totally. And we are diving into part five of our book club on Alone Together by Sherry Turkle, and we are covering chapters 10 and 11. And if you haven't had a chance to go back, you should for um, chapters and sections one through four. Um, And so in these chapters in 10 and 11, I mean, it starts off just with like how everyone hates the phone now. (laughs) Do you answer the phone? I I do. I'm probably one of those rare people. It depends. And I think to the point of the book, it's kind of situational. It depends on who you're talking to, what you're talking about. And if you feel like you have time to give you know, to the person on the other end of the line. What I think is really important about this book in Alone Together is that when she's laying out, this is just how we use technology. This is kind of how we thought we would use it. And then this is actually how we've ended up using it. And we have pointed out in other sections that this was published and or reprinted in 2017, which, you know, after a few years, so much more has changed. And I think that this chapter of no need to call, <laughs> which is yeah. is really not only what it what it's this uh, section is called, but also why people hate the telephone and how, especially younger people, doesn't matter if you're male, female, any gender, they, nobody likes it. Like there's, it's just sort of like everyone's just decided that it's too much intimacy. And I thought it was really interesting um, that in previous chapters, we talked about this idea of how technology, instead of serving us, is kind of redefining how our relationships with other people. And I think it's most dramatically shown in the phone, where, I mean, think about it, generations past, you would have died to be able to talk to your family across the ocean. You, You would have given anything to stay in touch with somebody this easy. And now it's looked on as an annoyance. We well, got there really fast. We did. It's really interesting because I think back to um, when texting was like kind of forced onto me. Yeah, same. I was, I was a young mom. I was home with my kids and my husband was working and he had, you know, a cell phone. And he's mm-hmm. like, it would just be so much easier if I could just text you things mm-hmm. really quickly rather than having to call you and say, hey, what's going on tonight or yeah. what needs to be picked up, you know, from the store on my Do way home or whatever. Going yeah, on, on Tuesday night. Exactly. Yeah. And and so much has changed because as soon as I got the hang of it and was doing, you know, texting on my flip phone, <laughs> I I did find myself making a lot fewer phone calls. Yeah. And coordinating, and you know, I I do use text a lot more than just picking up the phone to call someone. To it's really interesting, out. like hearing about history and 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 having a story that oh, I was there when. Oh, remember in seventh switched. grade? Well, so I think directly back to when I was in junior high, and compare it to my son right now. Okay, so my son's in junior high, and with his permission, I can share the information I have collected from him oh, wow. regarding this topic. Oh. <laughs> so, so when I was, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth grade, mm-hmm. you would spend hours on the phone. Oh, hours, hours, and we had one of those cords that were extra, extra long, so you could like, oh yeah, take it from where the phone is and walk to kind of the edge of the room, or go sit on the stairs, or kind of move around while you're talking to your friends. Yeah, and then your sisters or brothers would say, "Hey, get off the phone! I need to. I yeah. want to call do the waiting, same thing. Thing. Yeah, or call it's my waiting. Friend. I don't care. Yeah, and so. Looking now, he will text his friends a lot. Okay. He'll communicate with his friends while he's playing video games. Mm-hmm. 
But it was interesting. I asked him about speaking on the phone. And he's like, oh, I don't really mind it. He goes, but I never make phone calls. Yeah. It's FaceTime. So if the kids are talking on the phone, they're like FaceTiming. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a phone call, but kind of not because he said, I usually am doing other things too. You know, so you never of, get anybody's no, full attention. Just like she's talking about in yeah. this. Kids don't want to necessarily give full attention because it requires too much. Yeah, it's but too and we hard say to kids. Think, well, kids, every, yeah. But also us. Right. But but just it's just that that single-mindedness that, yeah, we're not able to focus that mm-hmm. way. You know, he's like, it gets too boring if I'm on the phone and not doing something else. I remember talking to my boyfriend in high school for four hours one night. Oh, easy. And when I think about that now, I think, <laughs> what did what we you talk, talk about? about? <laughs> Which makes me sad because I don't remember. And also, I don't think I could talk to an- anyone for four hours on the phone that I had just seen the day before. Well, and that's to the point of like kids today. And you weren't but, doing something else. But you weren't you weren't doing anything else, but you also didn't know what they were doing throughout the day that's like true. the kids do now on Snapchat. And not just kids though. It's us I, too. I know, but I don't Snapchat my friends what I eat for breakfast and send them random pictures yeah, of the that ceiling. Is true. You don't do that. I don't send them pictures of me dry, you know, like as a passenger in a car at school lunch. Or, uh, right. I mean, have you seen some of the dumb pictures? I'm like, why is this no, meaningful? All my why kids, is this interesting? And you know my kids because yes. you're their aunt. Um, a couple of, of my kids, all they post is dumb stuff, like things that they think are really dumb, not things that I just think are dumb. Like they only <laughs> send dumb memes or pictures that I don't understand. They don't like they don't send what I would call vulnerable or authentic communication. Which is different, and I think it's changing the relationships because it's just all done for comedy or for a perception. Well, and it just keeps it top level, right? Yeah. And so I've, I, I asked a couple of my children, so I have a 17-year-old daughter and a 19-year-old daughter, and I ask them, so in in what ways, like if you want to have a serious conversation with someone, yeah. what do you do? Oh, good question. You know, and one of them was like, well, I would talk to them in person. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because— I think that there's also a lot of reticence to do that. I mean, like, if you're really honest with yourself, just like she points out in this book in Chapter 10, you know, people don't want that that vulnerability because they can't instantly decide how they're going to react. No, it's uncomfortable. I thought there was a really— weird. Yeah, there's a really interesting story where there was um, a girl who found out uh, that—I think it was a friend, and then there was another example of the friend's father that died over social media— and then over just like an Instagram or something or, you know, instant message. And I thought that's really interesting because then they have time to process and react. But then I think, but then well, the why friend, wouldn't you want to have that reaction? But the friend, yeah, bumped into her and said, why didn't you tell me? And she's like, well, I'm only going to call you. Like, I have something to tell you. Right. And then it's kind of easier that way. Yeah. So it's like that hierarchy of what's more intimate in person on the phone. Yes. But I think the point is... No, just the connection, just letting them know. Like, I think okay. that's one big thing. I think it shows your closeness of relationships. If you will directly go someone to tell them your news, whatever news that is. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Well, and 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 uh, Sherry says face-to-face conversations happen way less. I mean, friendships get broken. You ask people out on text, you know, not face-to-face. Yeah. You break up with people online. Um and some people think, oh, I'm more like me online. I can, like, craft it a little bit 
better than if but I'm is just... is that you? I don't know. That's is the that question. You? And I thought that was such an interesting question. Um, people you're never going to speak to. Audrey, uh, she did a, 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 talked about how she's got, you know, uh, this was a case study that Sherry writes about, about how she's got her camera and her phone with her all day. She's constantly shaping her avatar. You know, like she's in it, but she's saying people you're never going to speak to um, is what her focus is. And Eric Erickson and and um, Sherry Turkle really uh, quotes him a lot uh, uh, as a philosopher and as a, uh, a psychiatrist, like about thoughts about how what do adolescents need for their development? Like what, how do, how do you really like create your sense of self? And you need this kind of um, consequence free identity play, you know, when you're just like kind of trying on different, like, am I like this? Am I like that? You're not, you're just trying it out when you're an adolescent because you don't really know who you are. You're discovering it and you're choosing it a little bit. So when identity is multiple in this way, people feel whole, not because they are one, but because the relationship among aspects of self are fluid and undefensive. We feel ourselves if we can move easily among all of our different aspects of self. But I think that's a challenge in this world even more because yeah. we could do that interplay in junior high and yeah. because, you know, by well, and you can fake when, when you're at school or when you're at the mall, but there was no record nope. of any of that. And yep. so there was no yes. one who was going to be able to see, oh, you're a totally different yes. person, you know, on the weekends or you're, you're acting crazy over at this friend's house where mm-hmm. you feel safe and comfortable. Whereas when you're at school, you're just really straight laced or something. I mean, not speaking from personal experience or anything. No, of course not. <laughs> but today's kids don't have that because it's, always recorded. Everything's recorded. So then they've it's taken that. It's changing their identity. It is. It's changing how they how they present themselves. Yes. Yeah. And then that breaks my heart because I think to some extent there's more conformity, even yeah. though they say, no, I'm more myself. I'm like- I, I know what you're saying. I, it's and just, I think, I think it's that it's happening to adults as well. I Definitely. just think it happens slower with us because we've already had experience not having it. But those who've never had any experience not being immersed in this kind of technology have no other point of view. Yeah. yeah. So I do think that it influences us. I just think it's at a slower rate. And Yeah. No, I don't doubt that there's influence on us. It, it's interesting that you talk about dating. So I asked my 19-year-old daughter who oh, yeah. dates- Mm-hmm. A bit. And I said, how does how you're contacted influence you? And she said, it's really interesting. She said, there's a hierarchy. She's like, if somebody oh snaps me and asks me out, like on Snapchat, she's like, yeah, I don't really take it super seriously. You don't know me. Like, it disappears. She said, whatever. a text is a little bit more commitment. She goes, but if somebody calls me on the phone and asks me out, in person, like on the yeah. phone, like it's taking the time to get my phone number, not just like my Snapchat handle from somebody else or something. She said, then I know that they're actually serious and that this is going to be that like a serious fun date. Isn't that interesting? It's so interesting. And it's unwritten because I asked my other children, yeah. I said, what's the hierarchy? Snapchat is like casual, fun, just quick conversations. Even like a text message, you know, is a little bit more formal. My mm-hmm. 14-year-old said, he's like, that's kind of formal if you text somebody. And I'm thinking to myself- I'm blown away by that. That is not formal. That's like my, for me and my generation, I'm like, that's an informal. Yeah. It's super convenient. It's quick. Yeah. But it's interesting because the opposite, and don't even ask him about email. Like nobody uses email. 
you know, know. to contact to each other. I my daughter, Margaret, I was like, oh, I sent you this email of this, like, camp that you might like. And, all that. and she goes, oh, well, I'll see it in about two years. And I, I said, <laughs> what do you mean? Don't you ever check your email? And she was like, oh, no, no one does. Even with, I, I have a... a organization that I that I work with and when I email them it's so funny I'll send a group text saying yeah, I sent, I sent you, you an email, email. <laughs> because I can't put all the information I need to send you in a text but I text to say go check your email oh, because it wow. is an important medium still anyway but that hierarchy of snapchatting or like a TikTok video or something versus a text or a phone call is real and yeah. and just to Sherry's point that hasn't changed. Like there's mm. there, but it's interesting because it seems like the less formal it is, the more upset people are if there's no response. Because I asked my son, I said, "Well, what oh. happens if somebody doesn't Snapchat you?" And he said, "Well, I get really mad if they don't Snapchat me back." He goes, "Because I can see if they've read it. Oh, you can see when they're online. I can see. Yeah, he goes, I can see if they've read other people's." And he says, but it's so easy to respond. Mm-hmm. Because it's so easy, if they don't, that's hurtful when it's when there's no response That's there. so true, though. And I'm like, that's amazing. And how, how quickly we got used to it. If I yeah. called somebody, it was reasonable that you would wait like two or three days for them to call yeah. you back. I mean, but now for like a text, if somebody doesn't immediately text me, I think, oh, are they mad at me? Yeah. And I think, no, Lisa, like people are busy. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, why are you? That's so but, funny. But yeah. we are used to, the technology is changing our brains in that we are used to instantaneous mm-hmm. communication. We, sh- we feel the right to be able to get in contact with anybody at every time. And that is changing our relationships. And, and, and something that I do appreciate about this book is, yes, there's lots of different case studies where it's like, hey, I followed this person. I asked this person. I asked, the, you know, different ages, different experiences about um, a response to robots and technology, which is, you know, a form of technology. But it changes for everybody. Um, I thought it was interesting that uh, she said anthropologist Victor Turner writes that we are most free to explore identity in places outside our normal life routines, places that are in some way betwixt and between. Turner calls them liminal from the Latin word threshold. They are literally on the boundary of things. And that made me think about technology and the way that that we look at our life online in a different way of not necessarily, because I don't like to villainize technology, we create it to serve us. But if we're using it in the wrong way, then we can change it. We can use it in a different way. And, and But I had never stopped to consider where I live. Like I always think, oh, my life online is like this. My life in real life is this. My real life is more important, right? And I think, oh, I've got it solved. But what about the sort of in-between, you know, places as you are... Re- redefining ourselves. We talk about identity with adolescents as if they're the only ones that ever do that. But we all go through changes in our lives and kind of pretend like we don't sometimes, like that we're always supposed to stay our authentic true selves. And I'm like, these things are changing the way that we see each other. So we we should look at them in a different way. Does that make sense? I Yeah, I totally get that. Well, and and I liked her point how some people in trying to figure that out will say, you know, will draw a hard line yes. between their personal, well, between their IRL life, in real life, I guess, um, their day-to-day interactions, and then their their internet life. And it was interesting to me, this group of teens that were like, oh, we don't talk about stuff that happens online in person. That would be a betrayal. Yeah. I was like, that was weird to that, me. That to was hear. weird because 
you're the same person. <laughs> like you well, because my belief is you should yeah. be the same person. But reading this book really made me think or really made me recognize that some people don't see it that way. They feel like they can live a completely different life online than they do in in per in what do you call it? In person, in real life. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And and you kind of see that a little bit, I think, with people whose business is based online. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I just read an article, a recent article, um, about influencers and how they don't get kind of the dues in the business world when if you if you looked at them mm. and especially here, um, where we are in Utah, there's a ton of like mom influencers just because I think, you know, with our families and things like that, and that they're not getting their dues as business women, as business people for building these huge empires on and and the product is their lives and their yeah. their online life and how that influences. And that's so interesting to me because if you think about it that way, then you're like, yes, they need that. The, they need the um, acknowledgement that they're really savvy businesswomen. But on the other hand, you go, well, but what's their private life like? It's mm-hmm. like, how how is that now their online life influencing what they do in their private life? Yeah, you know, because a lot, it's effect. so, yeah, it's so wrapped up together. And so in her bringing that up in this book, it was just so, so interesting because, um, because of the fact that, you know, some people do draw that hard line while while others, it's so blurred, it becomes yeah. their business. Okay, so I love how she uses Adam as an example. Um, he's disappointed in himself, right? And so he goes online. The simulation makes him feel like a success, right? Makes him feel like he's got all of this success. The games make him feel like he's living a better life. And this is the sweet spot of simulation, Sherry says, the exhilaration of creativity without the pressure, right? Like yeah. I can, I'm free to like make and create these things. And it doesn't seem like the consequences for either like the tension between creating something and putting it out there is as tense as it is in real life. And the excitement of exploration without risks. And so Adam plays on escaping to a place where he does not have to think beyond the game. But Adam's afraid he's going to lose his job. <laughs> I know, but he that- hasn't been writing songs. He didn't write that screenplay. Do you know what I mean? So he didn't create something in that real world. And he hasn't finished his resume. He hasn't filed his taxes. These things, just even just doing one of those things feels completely overwhelming. So what does he do? He goes back to the glow of the game, right? The simulation as if you are creating, but he's creating something, but it has no tangible, uh, you know, sort of. Um, permanence, right? But yet it kind of does in one sense. And so it makes me think as technology moves forward, if we will blur the lines, if we want to, if we choose between what we consider real creative work. So this is where I I think in one example of, I mean, I think this book has great research, great history in such a, you know, because her research has gone on since I think the 70s is yeah, when it started. in the forefront. But in the last five years, yeah. the whole the whole Adam problem with that he's so involved in his games and his creating. So again, 14-year-old boy in my house, yeah. I know all about the gamers on YouTube. Yes. And in particular, the Minecraft creators. Yeah. That video doing exactly what Adam's doing, creating these elaborate worlds, having challenges, recording that, putting it on YouTube, and then having... 
millions of subscribers oh, and yeah. then making a tangible in real life living from it. Yeah. And I think that leap yes. shows that we're taking those the people that have that rich online life and they've they've found a way to kind of break it through and make that authentic to their real life. And I think okay, that's, that's fascinating because, way to because that's that's the bridge, right? That's how technology is changing us because they're not changing what they're doing, yeah. but they're opening it so that other people can see it so they can monetize it with advertisements through YouTube. It gets so complex I remember that. years and years ago when I was telling my two oldest, I don't want you to be like living online, you know, more than you, you know, playing these online games, these video games, you know, as much in real life. Like, so I severely like limited, you know, their time and things like that and think, you know, okay, I've solved it. (laughs) And I remember my oldest, Miles, so you'll, because you know him, you know that this is, you know, this is him at like 12 going, yeah, but like, why is it more virtuous to play a board game than a video game? Why does the technology make it less valuable? He's like, if we were sitting around playing Monopoly all afternoon, you would think that was the cutest thing. Yeah, but here's the He's thing. He's right. Yeah, but here's by the, the way. thing. Nobody's going to play Monopoly all afternoon because it doesn't have the stimulation that those online games do. Perhaps. It, it doesn't have, well, plus it's really boring. And he's well, going to be playing to you, with his brothers and, and sisters. His point, so. though, his point, though, <laughs> I, I know, was <laughs> whether it's online, you're just a Luddite. Right, right, right. <laughs> it was kind of calling me out, and yeah, I, yeah, it did give me pause and say, "Okay, so let me tell you my real fears of becoming, an uh, kind of like Adam and not having a job." And he's like, "Oh yeah, you don't want me to live in your basement and have no job." And I'm like, "Yeah, I don't want that happening." He's like, oh, "Okay, well then that's fair. Let's have that conversation." And so it is interesting to see what will happen five, ten years because back then, and this was what maybe fifteen years ago. Or so, almost. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there weren't YouTubers making millions of dollars no. on it, but there are now, which only strengthens his point and weakens mine. Exactly. Which there's not like monopoly players making millions of dollars for YouTube subscribers. There just isn't. No, no. And I think unless there is, and then I apologize publicly. <laughs> well, there's poker. <laughs> Yep, so, yeah, yeah. I'm like, so there's games. But it's all yeah. online. I mean, but they talk about about the gaming too, and it's it's the same thing. But I don't know that there's that that level of I just think the internet has the opened craving. up the, the the level of creativity and influence that you can have on mm. the games and pieces because it's so interactive. Yeah. It's so responsive, which is really cool. Like again, yeah, I'm with yeah, you. I don't attack the technology for a need. But but how it affects people can yeah. be problematic. Yeah, I well, love this. I, Our neurochemical response to every ping and ringtone seems to be the <laughs> one elicited by the seeking drive, a deep motivation of the human psyche. Con- connectivity becomes a craving. Yeah. And well, that's different. Yeah, totally. Well, and my favorite thing too about just that connectivity. Yeah. It says there was a time when only physicians had beepers, a burden, quote unquote, a burden shared in rotation. Now we've all taken up the burden, reframed as an asset or as just the way it is. It's like, no, that's just the way it is. And so it's interesting because I do have to struggle um, to put some limits on my connectivity. Yeah. You know, to say, okay, no, I'm only answering work calls when it's important. I'm only 
engaging on online, especially with social media. I mean, to her point in the book where she's like, you look up and it's like three hours later and you're like, what? You know, and I think it's worse even than when this was originally, Mm -hmm. you know, revised in 2017. And so there are some things we have to do to make sure that we do, according to how we want to, stay Mm -hmm. rooted in real life while remaining connected online. Right. When we're looking for connectivity and then we end up being lonelier after three hours of scrolling, yeah. what does that teach us? Yeah. And maybe we should be just a little bit more mindful of it. Yeah. I know it. it's made me change my mind about a couple of things. For sure. And like time on that. Thank you for this great discussion, Gina. You're welcome. This has been really fun and we are really excited that you have joined us for the Lisa Show Book Club where we have been looking into um, Section 5 – Chapters 10 and 11, um, we've really enjoyed Gina James and her perspective today. And I hope you'll join us next week for section six. We're getting to kind of the near the end of our book club. In part six, we're going to be looking at chapters 12 and 13 and really looking at confessions that people share online and how technology and the internet gives an anonymity to these kinds of things, or does it? So I hope you'll join us next week. 